How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Helping you unwind after a long day of work. I think he's kind of a boob. Can't really take the day off as a person. Can't go out there and be a moron. It doesn't work like that. The nightcap. We're eating their food on WGR Sports Radio 550. All right, I think I got a quest, a Bills question. People are pretty divided on, from what I'm seeing on social media. I've got at least one segment to go here without drinking some coffee. You know, the usual routine. You may, I make coffee usually like a little bit before the show gets going. Just to make sure you got that boost of energy flying into into the couple of hours here, 7 to 9. Forgot to go out and get some. But it's all right. Don't think it's a necessity tonight. We got a pasta pass to talk about. Olive Garden is making some big moves. Fantasy questions. 8030550. I'm here for those. It is draft season and I am diving in I mean all the way in. I am studying ADP every day, different rankings, uh different situations. Chris Godwin, there was a bit of an injury scare there today with uh with the Buccaneers wide receiver Brashard Perriman is the guy you'd want to keep an eye on there if that becomes something, but it doesn't look like it's anything serious. So fantasy questions, you can hit me up as well. 8030550 is the number. And we'll have some good audio throughout the show as well. Um, ESPN wrapping up, by the way, before we get completely off fantasy for a little bit here. The, uh, they're having their 28-hour, their I think it's 28-hour fantasy marathon. And that will end in a Sports Center special, which will be a giant fantasy draft. And it's growing and growing and growing and growing is fantasy football. And I wonder like what the ceiling is for it. I'm not really sure, but it's kind of crazy to think that on an August day, like we're getting ready for football season, ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports, will dedicate an entire day to strictly fantasy. So if you've got fantasy questions, you can absolutely ask me because I am uh, all in on it. I would like to know uh, some of the stuff you got going on. Uh, Deion Dawkins, Jadavian Clowney. That's where I kind of want to start the show today, and that comes from an idea I had after seeing the report from John McClain of the Houston Chronicle, veteran reporter of the Texans, and he tweets that he would be surprised if Clowney is not traded. Now, we've discussed Clowney, I think, several times on the station, on this show, and it's an idea I have liked because I think that fills a need that the Bills do not currently have filled. They don't, in my mind, have a franchise pass rusher. Jerry Hughes, very good. Trent Murphy, Shaq Lawson, sparingly they'll give you some good rushes, but not very consistent between the two of them. Clowney presents something that they don't have, a ceiling that they don't currently have. 
Reminds me a lot of what Mario Williams was when he came here to the Bills. Underperformed a little bit in Houston, but you knew he had freakish talent. He was drafted first overall, so you knew that that talent was high enough that it would get him drafted there in the first place. And maybe here with a good defensive line alongside him, he could really see his numbers rocket up. And that's what happened to Mario Williams. And the Bills, to be honest, I think if you were to plug Clowney in there, he wouldn't see something too much different from what he's had in Houston, which is a very good defensive line next to him. I don't think he'd get swarmed with double teams. He can't double team everybody. Hughes is still very good. Ed Oliver looks like a beast. And you've got some other good depth down the middle in defensive tackle. Jordan Phillips, Harrison Phillips, Latoule is still here. So I like the idea of it. And more specifically, John McClain mentions that, hey, Houston, they need an offensive lineman. And this makes sense. They've got a guy who's not at camp that is very good, but has underperformed a little bit. And this team's offensive line is dreadful. That has been the Achilles heel of the Houston Texans for the past two years with Deshaun Watson, who is a very good young quarterback. He's one of my favorite young quarterbacks in the league. I think he has elite upside, and he's actually realized some of that upside in his first two years. And he has carried them to the playoffs on his mobility. But the guy keeps getting hit because the Texans can't block anybody. So McLean's idea here and his report, which makes sense, is they would do this but they'd be looking for an offensive lineman. And to me, I'm looking at what the Bills have on their offensive line right now. And I think it's fair to say that even though I'm putting Deion Dawkins into this trade idea, he is definitely, I think, their most valuable offensive lineman. Even more than Mitch Morse. Now that he's got that contract, he's got a concussion history, he's a little bit older. Dawkins is young, inexpensive, and has proven to be pretty good through his first two years, although he was pretty inconsistent last season. A lot of it, to me, is what your offensive line looks like if you take Dawkins out versus what your pass rush looks like if you don't have Clowney. And to me, there is a bigger gap when you go from Clowney to Trent Murphy than there is if you go from Dawkins to Ty Seke, who might be one of the best four or five linemen on the Bills right now. You looked at what he did in Washington. A lot of the analytics people loved him in Washington. A lot of the film guys loved Nseke in Washington. We had a guy on last week. Really escaped. The name is escaping me at this very moment. He was a Redskins reporter. uh, Craig Hoffman that they had on uh, Radio.com Insider. Covers the Redskins. They had him on Chopin the Bulldog uh, last week. And he was talking about how Inseke was really good when he had to fill in at left tackle for Trent Williams, but when they tried to slide him over to the right, he didn't quite see the same results. So part of this for me is you have a guy who you should expect to be pretty good, at least, as your left tackle. And then you've got Cody Ford on the right, who who knows, maybe he could slide over to the left if you really need him to. I mean, a lot of people with Dawkins thought he was going to be a right tackle coming into the league. Cordy Glenn was a right tackle coming into the league, or people thought he was a guard coming into the league. And both of those guys stayed at left tackle and have been good at left tackle, even Cordy Glenn, throughout his career. So, the question shouldn't really be, what is my... Um, 
or am I really getting robbed on value here? Because I don't think you are. And what's the risk with Clowney? Because there is some risk there, but I think it's enough that you could stomach. It. The real question should be, what does my offensive line look like without Dawkins? What does my defensive line look like without Clowney? And I am a lot more content with the Bills' offensive line without Dawkins than the defensive line without Clowney. And I don't even know if Houston would go for this, if they would want something more. Or maybe the Bills would want something more for Dawkins. It's just an idea. But I love the idea of bringing in a pass rusher like that. This Bills' defense is already great. But the one thing they are missing is that elite pass rusher. I think Clowney would be that. And if you can find a way to get him with something you already have a surplus of, which is good tackles, you've got three of them. Now, I like to have three of them. I don't want to go down to two if unless I'm getting something really good. But can I get away with two if I stay healthy? And I think the answer to that question should be yes. There's a couple negatives to it, of course. One negative is the long-term view of who your left tackle is. I like Ty Seke, but he is a veteran. He is in his 30s. I don't know how much you could expect to get out of him. 33, I think he is. Could you get three years out of him? You probably have to start a search to find your new franchise left tackle. Unless you think Cody Ford could do it. So that would have to happen. It wouldn't be an immediate concern of mine, but it would have to happen at some point. The other thing, of course, would be the depth. Because Adrian Waddle, who was going to be seemingly their swing tackle, he's injured, he's out for the year, they don't have him. Even Connor McDermott, who would then be their swing tackle, he seems to always be banged up, and right now he's in a non-contact jersey uh, at Bill's practice, so he's injured too. So you would be getting pretty thin at the position if you were to make a move like this. Now, if this were fantasy, then the thing I would be doing is, okay, I have a surplus in one area. I'm going to go take some of that to get something else that I need. And then the thing that I just added to, well, I'm going to take my depth there and I'm going to try to add back to where I just depleted myself. So if this were fantasy, I know it's not. So it's probably there's a lot of stuff you'd have to do. You would want to trade a guy like Dawkins to get Clowney. And then... Take a Shaq Lawson and use him to get some depth back on the offensive line. Like Those would be two moves that if Brandon Bean were to pull off in the next couple weeks, I would just be so impressed with if he would be able to pull something like that off. If he even wants to pull something like that off, he might feel very good about what his uh, pass rusher looks like. They got this NASCAR package that's flying around. Lorenzo Alexander... Kind of up against the on the defensive line. Tremaine Edmonds on the defensive line. Ed Oliver is the only tackle, and he's standing up. So they have formations that they're going to try to use, I think, to get to the quarterback quicker. And they do have depth there. As much as I don't really think Trent Murphy is very consistent, Shaq Lawson is certainly not consistent as a pass rusher, those are two guys that are at least some amount good. Like, they're all right. I think I can absolutely and should want to do better than that, but I can do worse than Trent Murphy and Shaq Lawson as starting defensive ends. But at the end of the day, this defense could be in store for some regression. Year to year, 
it's it's well documented that it's hard for defenses to maintain a top five level year to year. The only team that's really ever been able to consistently do it in the last decade is the Seahawks. They did it with the Legion of Boom, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas. They did it. But even the other great defenses of this decade, the Ravens in 2012, the Broncos when they won the Super Bowl, the Jaguars two years ago in the AFC Championship game, all of those teams took hits. You know, want to know why? Because defense, it sometimes it's just random. It's just random. And it would be, I would not be surprised in the least, even if the Bills have everything perfect on defense, if they were to take a little step back maybe outside the top five, still in the top ten, but outside the top five. That makes sense. It's hard to go second in the league twice in a row. But it would make it a lot easier for me to see them doing that if you added a guy like this, a guy that every time he's on the field, you know that if the offense is not double-teaming him, he is going to be a big threat to get to the quarterback. And they don't really have that right now, even with a double-team. As much as I love Jerry Hughes, who is one of the most efficient rushers in the league last year, you give him a double team like he's been getting the past couple years when there's no Mario Williams on the other side, when there's no Marcel Darius up the middle. Well, his sack numbers are going to take a hit. He hasn't had double-digit sacks since Mario Williams was here. So I think everybody benefits if you add a player like that. And even though the offense is really what needs to improve, like I said, I think... They're set up to be able to stomach a hit like that because of what they did in the offseason, adding in second free agency and adding Cody Ford in, in the draft. And it's not like Dawkins was great last year. He really wasn't. I kind of want to give him a pass for it because the line to the right of him was just brutal. But it's not a guarantee that this guy is going to show up and be your franchise left tackle. I mean, we were talking about him being a guard a month ago if everything goes perfect. So he's not the name I'd like to trade if you could find a way to maybe send them in second and like a pick or I would not trade Cody Ford at this point. You just draft him anyway. I don't think they'd ever do that. Maybe if you can do in second and a pick, that would be a much better idea. I just don't really think it's realistic to, to say Houston would do that. I think if you are Houston and you've got this guy who, yes, is not at camp, but he is uber-talented. I'm not moving him, especially when I can franchise tag him again. I'm not moving him unless I'm getting a good young offensive lineman that has some sort of promise. And I think Deion Dawkins fits that, and I think the Bills can get away with not having him. 803-0550 is the phone number. Want to know what you think about that as an idea, and, of course, fantasy questions and uh, other stuff around the uh, around the league as well if you want. Let's uh, start off with Jonathan and Alden. Jonathan, what's up, man? You're on the nightcap. Hey, Joe. Thanks, Michelle. Um, I want to say I respect your opinion. You made some good arguments, but I just don't agree with you on Dawkins. I'm trading Dawkins for Clowney. I don't think trade. I think Dawkins has a lot of upside, a lot of potential, and I don't think Clowney is going to be worth it. And I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to see the Bills take an unnecessary risk. I don't want to see them trade anything more like a third round pick. But I just don't, I just don't agree with your opinion on this one. Uh, a third round pick, yeah. I don't think you're getting him for that, man. And I, I really, I just see the value of that player. I, I kind of hold that in a different regard than some of the offensive line. I don't want to say left tackle because if I were going to rank, I've done this before. If I were going to rank the positions by their importance to the team in the long term outlook, 
left tackle and I think pass rusher are like right there, two and three. But I think you're a lot closer to finding out who your left tackle is if Dawkins isn't here than who your star pass rusher is next to Jerry on the other side of Jerry Hughes if you don't have Clowney or if you don't end up adding a player like that. Like I said, I think they can get away without it. Lawson and Murphy are okay. I love this NASCAR package. Lorenzo Alexander, ideally, you'd like to find a way to develop a linebacker behind Lorenzo Alexander so he can take that spot and you can put Lorenzo back rushing the passer. Because when it comes down to it, I thought he was actually very good at his position last year, but they need Lorenzo Alexander rushing the passer. He is, if not better than Hughes, he's right there with them. Those are the best two pass rushers on this team, and one of them you can't have doing it all the time because he's got to play a position behind you. So, a lot of this could be different. I think their defense is like one addition away from being perfect, and part of that is Lorenzo's versatility. So, you could do one of two things. You could add a linebacker. It doesn't have to be a great one because you already got Milano and Edmonds, but you could add another linebacker to fill that. Is it the Will linebacker spot that Lorenzo plays? And then you could slide him back up to rush the passer more consistently. Or you can add the star pass rusher. Just go ahead and do it. Especially when you'd like to have that guy be young because as much as I love Lorenzo Alexander and Jerry Hughes as pass rushers, they're both in their 30s. And how much more can you expect out of them? Maybe Hughes can go for a few more years. Lorenzo, this might be it this year or next year. Clowney, you've got to sign him. That's the bit, It's the only thing I'd be worried about with him. I think he's a star player. I don't think he's the best pass rusher in the world. But I think he's like that second tier. He's right there. And he also possesses the upside to reach into that top tier. He just hasn't had the production yet. I think he possesses that ability, though. And he's younger. But I would be a little worried, and a couple people have mentioned this on Twitter, I would be a little worried about being able to sign him. But at the end of the day, I'm at least going to be able to franchise tag him. And I think you should be able to get that done. I would hope you can get that done. Maybe I shouldn't say should, because they just had a star receiver who, yeah, he's a little cuckoo, but he just passed on the Bills a couple months ago. So... Maybe I shouldn't assume that you'd be able to lock up Clowney, but I want to think that you'd be able to with what you're building, and if your young quarterback progresses the way they hope, you should be able to you should be able to be a team that's keeping players like that around. 803-0550 is the phone number. Buzz is next. What's up, Buzz? What's up, Joe? How you doing? Good. How about you? Oh, good, thanks. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm totally against against Clowney. And uh, the reason why, a couple reasons why. The first thing is the guy's never had 10 sacks in a year. And he's playing on a line that's already good. He's playing next to J.J. Watt. He's getting double teamed all the time. You know that. I don't see any production from Clowney in the NFL. I really don't. I don't care what his ceiling is. His ceiling, he should have already been at his ceiling. He's injury prone, prone, and you're going to have to pay him a ton of money. Now, I just don't, I don't, don't, that's, that's not who you want to give money to. You want to give him $15 million? You just mentioned franchise tag him? Franchise tag Clowney? Are you kidding me? For what, eight sacks this year? No, nah, I mean, I'm going to pass on that. And, you know, I mean, Trent Murphy had ten and a half sacks in Washington before his injury. Maybe he comes back this year. Uh, I think you, gotta, you just got to stick tight this year. What if one of our tackles goes down? You need those three tackles, like you mentioned earlier. You want three tackles. Um, I, I got to pass on this guy. 
Go well, yeah, thanks for the, thanks for the call, Buzz. Like to me again, I think I should be. I will have an easier time finding out who can be my depth tackle than who can be my star pass rusher. And you're right, he has not had ten sacks in a season. He has not had ten sacks in a season. That's correct. But if you look at the last two years where he has been finally healthy, because that was really the biggest issue at the beginning of his career, he's finally healthy. And now you look at his stats, and he's right there at the top of the league. Like Now you're looking at a guy who has 18 and a half sacks in two years. And that's actually pretty high up the league. Pro Bowl reference doesn't want to help me out here on how high that is. But to me, you're also getting a floor. It's not just a ceiling. You have the ceiling because you know his talent level. But now you've seen when he's healthy... The least he can do, which is nine, nine and a half sacks. And if that's the floor for a guy like that, and I've maybe yet to tap into what his ceiling is, I want to chase that ceiling. I want to chase that. Because, again, I think if you really want to, go ahead, take your depth now that you got a defensive end if you add this guy, and go add the depth back at the offensive line. It shouldn't be that hard. To find a backup tackle that can that can suffice if someone gets hurt. If that's all you're looking for. Because I'd be comfortable with the two guys that be starting. Cody Ford looks like a mauler from what people are talking about him in camp. And Nseke was great in Washington when he played. So why should I not think those guys can hold down the fort at tackle? So yeah, if they get injured, that's going to be a problem. But I'd like to know I'd like to think they can much on a much easier or much have much easier time filling that than getting some pass rush depth. 18 and a half sacks in the last two years. I'm having trouble finding out how much that is. I don't know why Profile Reference doesn't want to work like that. Um, oh, I know why. i got to be going the combined seasons. That's why. Combined seasons. So now we go 2017 to 2018. And we are looking at Clowney, who is in the top, let's see, he's 19th. So, to your point, not elite, but 19th, that's still very good. It's above Justin Houston, Joey Bosa in that span, Melvin Ingram, Ezekiel Ansah, way ahead of him, who we wanted to add this offseason, J.J. Watt, he had injuries, um... I mean, right there with some of the star guys in the league. T.J. Watt, Cameron Hayward, Yannick Ngakwe, who wants to get paid $20 million a year from Jacksonville. Like, he's right there with the star pass rushers of the league. So I think I'm getting a floor, too. Thanks for the call. We'll continue to take more. And I got a poll up on Twitter. And like I said, this is a pretty de- decisive or divisive uh, decision if it ever came to it for Bills fans. Clowney or Dawkins, if you had to pick one. And the question I just put it on Twitter, would you trade Deion Dawkins for Jadavian Clowney? 52% say yes, just about 1,000 votes in on that one. 52% say yes, 48% say no, so it's pretty tight. 803-0550 is the phone number. We'll continue to take your calls after the break. Fantasy questions and uh, this Olive Garden pass. Lifetime pass. What are they doing? 
It's the nightcap with Jody Biasi and Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. UGR. It's Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio, Sal Capaccio on WGR. All right, welcome back to the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase on WGR. Now joined on the Wester Hotline by Sal Capaccio, who I have to imagine you're out on the town enjoying the nightlife of uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Yeah, it's kind of like being in Buffalo, though. There are so many Buffalo people here, and it's not just Bills fans who are transplants. Literally, I'm not kidding you. So we're having dinner right now at an Italian restaurant. I just stepped outside okay. to chat with you, which is fine. And uh, in the building where the Italian restaurant is located, upstairs, the guy who owns the building who lives upstairs is a big Buffalo guy, and he's literally got, like, Buffalo Bills banners hanging out the window. Wow. And is this the, you were in uh, Jacksonville, right? Is it quite that feel where it feels like they've taken over the city? No, I haven't really run into okay. like just be, you know why? Because there's not like parties going on and right, stuff like right, that, right. right? It's just you just kind of run into people, and we saw a lot at practice today. And it's also it's training camp. A lot of families were there, things like that, you know. Yep. But Jacksonville was just like it just was just a, a party going on. Yeah, yeah, that was a little bit different. But there's just a lot of Bills fans, and the waiter just told us he he just said to me he said. I never knew there were so many Bills fans here in Spartanburg until this week. <laughs> <laughs> they all came up. For that. Uh, Sal, is this your uh, first uh, experience covering a joint practice? It is. You know, so my first time as the sideline reporter, I was the sideline reporter before the beat reporter. Right. Um, but when I first started, basically, they had joint practices with the Steelers, but that was literally the week mm. before I started on the sideline. So I never went to that preseason game, which means I never went to Pittsburgh early in the week. So this is the first time I've done that. Actually, it's the first time I've tra- on the road, excuse me. I did cover joint practices against the Browns in at St. John Fisher like three years ago. Okay. So I know the players talked a lot about how it's kind of got a different energy to it uh, when you're practicing against another team as opposed to yourselves. Did it seem that way? Did it feel like there was a little more intensity to the practice than normal? 100%. You could feel it. You could tell. And, you know, I know that when you go to St. John Fisher, when there's a big play, you hear oohs and ahs and cheers. But it's also going against your own team. So it's a little bit tempered, right? I mean, because tempered because, yeah, Josh Allen threw a touchdown pass. People go, yay. But, you know, you're also going against your own defense and people don't want to go crazy about it. Well, here you're going against an opponent. And... When something good happened for the Bills, you could tell. Like, there was a lot of really good cheering. And when something happened good for the Panthers, you could tell the same thing, especially the field that was closest to the Panthers' offense had mostly Panthers fans up there. The field closest to the Bills' offense had mostly Bills fans around it. So you could definitely tell when there was something happening because just in the crowd. But at the same time, like, yeah, one-on-ones, like, it was intense. There was definitely a lot of competition going on, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty cool. So one thing you wrote about on the website, you can check it out at WGR550.com, 
was, and Cole Beasley talked about this too, was kind of how he's come along with Allen. And have, has your thoughts changed at any any time during training camp on how much Allen and the Bills offense is going to use Beasley? Does it seem like it's trending in a direction where, yeah, they paid him and they are actually going to use him on a regular basis? I actually had the thought today that he might be the leader in receptions on the team this year. And I don't know if I had that thought before. Like, I thought maybe it'd be John Brown or Zay Jones. Maybe I thought Colby, Cole Beasley could be the guy. But right now, I'm thinking Cole Beasley, if I'm in a fantasy league, PPR, mm-hmm. I'm thinking Cole Beasley is the number one guy at the Bills because what I've seen is him and Allen just really like to hook up on plays, and Allen tries to find that matchup. It's not just built in, I think, where we're going to Cole Beasley. I think it's Josh Allen looking for a matchup where he can get Cole Beasley. And I talked with John Feliciano after the game on Thursday night last week, and he said something interesting. I wrote about it, talked about it, which is he said Josh Allen has the final say, basically, when they get to the line of scrimmage. Like, he can set the protections. He can change the play. He can find a matchup that he wants to go to and do everything based off of that. I asked Cole about that today, and he was like, yep, that's right, and that really helps me because – when Josh sees I have a matchup, basically, he can really go to me and we can kind of manipulate how we want to do it. Is that normal? Like, do you remember, like, with Manuel, like a quarterback in his second year having the final say like that? It's not, it hasn't been normal for the Bills. Okay. Uh, I don't think, I don't think even Tyrod had a lot of say right. in that regard, but I think that depends on your offensive coordinator. I think, I thought a lot about this today, and really since John Feliciano told me, I think it comes down to Brian Dable. Really, I think Brian Dable. Basically, it's not just that he trusts his quarterback. I think he's putting that on him. He's like, look, if you're going to be a quarterback in the NFL, you're going to be a franchise quarterback, you got to know this stuff. you got to know how to do it. And I'm going to put you in a position to allow you to do it. You know, you can't give him the responsibility without the freedom. So if you're going to say, look, I'm going to put this pressure on you, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to do it. And I think that's where that comes from. I, I would say it's not abnormal in the league, right? You look around, I'm sure that many of the quarterbacks in the league can do that. We just haven't seen it in Buffalo. And I think this is new for, for us to see this, but it's very good to know that they allow Josh Allen to do that. Right. While we're on uh, while we're on the passing game and wide receiver, I remember last week when you were on with uh, with Chopin the Bulldog, you mentioned that you think there was a pretty clear top six at wide receiver at that time. It was obviously Zay Jones, Beasley, John Brown, Foster, and then Roberts and Ray Ray McLeod. How much has that changed in the course of a week? Because I know Isaiah McKenzie got some first-team reps over the weekend. Robert Foster's place in all of this seems to be a little weird right now. How much has changed in a week's time for that? I think the top six are still the same. I just think there's a smaller margin for error for the guys who are probably three, four, five, six. You know, I'm, I'm even counting Zay Jones in there. I'm not saying you know he's on the bubble or anything like that, but... I think three through six have come back closer to seven and beyond, and I think seven, eight, and nine have crept up a little bit closer. I'm really seven and eight for me, which would be Isaiah McKenzie and Cam Phillips. Right. I think those are the next two guys, but I think Ray Ray McLeod, Andre Roberts is safe to me. I mean, he's he's just a guy. He's going to be on the team. You know, he's he's doing he's playing a lot of offense and he's their return man. Um, but I think Ray, Robert Foster, even Zay, I think they've kind of crept a little bit closer to the other way. And I'm not saying that Andre Roberts, by the way, is going to be the number two or three receiver. I just, I'm saying his spot is locked on the team. But I think those other guys, there is some movement as far as getting them kind of closer to the pack and together. And we, 
I'm not seeing that as clear separation, but I do think there's still, to me, if I was going to do a 53-man roster projection right now, I would still have the same six making it. Okay. Uh, last one for you, Sal. So I, I spent the first segment taking calls pretty much on the uh, the, the John McClain Houston Chronicle report from earlier today that he would be surprised, I know it was just one reporter saying this, but he would be surprised if the Texans didn't trade Jadavian Clowney, who's a name that we've talked a lot about on the station. And he mentions that they want basically offensive linemen, which makes sense. They've been really bad in that area for a couple years now with Watson. And I, I feel like I would have been thinking about this a little differently had some of their swing tackles not been injured. Ladrian Waddle, I think Connor McDermott's banged up now. Are the Bills in any type of situation where if Houston came calling, maybe they were doing the talking, say, hey, we want an offensive lineman for this guy. Do you think the Bills are in a spot where they could afford to give up one that would get it? Clowney back uh, to Buffalo. See, the thing about it, Joe, is I don't think it's about if they're in a spot to give up a guy like that. They may, they may feel like they are, and I would say it'd be a, it'd be tough. But the problem is this: it's you can't trade for Jadavian Clowney and give up a something a really premium asset if you don't know that you can sign him after this year. And they just don't know. Like you can't negotiate with him. You can't sign him. The the window has passed. Even if he gets traded to another team, he has to play out this year. Now you could franchise tag him again. That's fine. You could sign him after the season ends. That's fine. But you have no guarantees to trade for him now. You cannot sign him during this season. That the NFL rules prohibit that because of his situation and the dates that have passed. So I don't think the Bills can do it. If you told me they could trade for him and they had a deal in place to keep him for the next five years, I'd say, you know what? I think they're in a position where they can develop some linemen and just go do it because you have Jadavian Clowney. Mm -hmm. That's fine. I actually would probably say that. But they are not, and I don't think you can give up a premium asset like that not knowing if the guy would be yours beyond the next 16 games. All right, Sal. Um, what, one last injury thing. Uh, Mitch Morse took a step forward in concussion protocol, so he's close now to returning to practice. It, I mean, we he's use like cl- one more step, one I, or two more I steps. I would think he would. I would think yeah. that would mean he's close, but we don't know because you know they don't right. really give us any details on that. But he's certainly in a better situation now than he was a few days ago. I'd say, considering he had his leg pant, his his pants and his you know pads and his legs on. Yep. Uh, and he was wearing a red jersey, and he was actually on the field standing with his offensive line teammates instead of actually on a stationary bike. All right, Sal. Thanks for jumping out with me. Enjoy the rest of the night in uh, Spartanburg. All right, have a good night. Thanks. Right. There is Sal Capaccio on the West Her Hotline. Check out his article from practice today at WGR550.com. All right, we'll take some more calls after the break. Clowney, as an idea for the Bills, crept back up to me because of the report today or the the story from John McClain of the Houston Chronicle saying he would be surprised if he was not traded and that the Texans are looking for offensive linemen. Quick update on the poll I got up on Twitter uh, before we take a break, would you trade Deion Dawkins for Jadavian Clowney? It's close, 52. Actually, that's uh, that's not updated. Come on, Twitter, what are you doing? Usually update like that. Still 52%. 52% say yes, 48% say no. So it's a tight one. Your calls after this. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi on WGR. It's a process, you know, we don't make excuses. I'm here today just to get things on the up and up, you know, I'm feeling a lot better. Uh, it's been a process uh, through all the adversity, but 
I'm still here standing, so it's an opportunity for me to do what I desire to do. Antonio Brown, almost Bill. Does he count as an almost Bill? Usually you think of, I think, like preseason guys for that, right? Like Vince Young and I always think about former uh, Colt running back Dominic Rhodes who spent a camp with the Bills once. Tavares Jackson. Did he make it to a game? No, he preseason. But uh, I think you can qualify Brown. I think they traded for him. He just said no. He was back at Raiders practice today. He didn't practice, but he was there. And uh, the saga there continues. Is uh, He's still recovering from his frostbitten feet. Helmet thing. He's searching for a very specific helmet. And I was reading about this earlier. He's basically looking for the helmet he's been wearing. And his plan of action now is to find a helmet that was discontinued in 2009 that isn't older than 10 years. So you might be thinking to yourself, wait, 2009 was 10 years ago. So yeah, right. He's almost for sure not going to find this helmet. But from what I read, the helmet that he wears after his discontinued in 2009, a very select few were sent to clients who wanted them in 2010 and 2011. So essentially what he would have to do is find one of these select few helmets that were distributed in 2010 or 2011, eight years ago, nine years ago, find them, find the person who has it. It has to be in condition to be worn, so probably not very worn at all, so that it can be approved, and then he's got to buy it or he's got to trade gear for it or something. So this guy is really trying to find this helmet um, or one of these helmets. But he is – it sounds like a long shot from what I've heard. Um, and even at the end of the day then, it's you're not allowed to have a 10-year-old helmet or worse, right? That's the new rule. So at best, he's going to spend all this effort and money and time or whatever to find these helmets. And then maybe a year or two, he's not going to be able to wear it anyway. Guys should just get get used to the new one. I have this in hockey a lot where, you know, I, I get tired of wearing a mouth guard, and I know it's not specifically for just protecting your teeth, but I switch to a cage. Just like, you know, it only takes that once. Why even risk it? So I switch to a cage. And it takes getting used to. It's super annoying when you first start using it. But after a game or two, I don't know. To me, you just forget about it. You don't even notice it anymore. And this guy, man, I, th- I think this is part of him being a drama queen more so than he's actually worried about his sight lines in his helmet. I think this guy was just going to make a big deal out of something no matter what. Um, and he's back now. And if you're wondering for fantasy, no, I would not pick him in where he's being drafted right now. He's going like early second round. I would maybe consider him in the back of the second round, ideally probably the high third because he's carrying risk. He's a loose cannon. You don't know what he's going to do at any moment. At any moment. He quit on your team. Last year. Fantasy playoffs. Was it the championship fantasy game that he quit? I mean, maybe it was week 17. So some people's championships. Just, you, you can't trust that. You can't trust it. 803 is the phone number. Take your questions on anything football related. Fantasy. Bills. Antonio Brown. Let's go to Larry in South Florida. Larry, what's up, man? You're on the nightcap. Hey, Joe. How are you, buddy? Good. How about yourself? I'm well, thank you. Uh, Big fantasy question for you, but before I do, I want to talk about Josh Rosen. Maybe you guys can talk Ryan Gates to coming back because 
<laughs> all these reports on Rosen and the guy that was with uh, Show from the Bulldog today from Miami. I, I, I forgot his name. Armando Silguero. That's one. Yep. Just how he was speaking about him. Man, am I happy we didn't draft him, and I'm even happier that Antonio Brown didn't want to come play for us. So, you know, being uh, Dean's looking good on the Rosen decision, and I mean, yeah, he wanted uh, he wanted Brown, but I'm really happy that it didn't work out. I will say this too before you go to your fantasy question with what Rosen seems to need to be good. Like I think he's actually a pretty polished passer. Now the body language stuff exists, but it sounds like he if he has a bad offensive line, he doesn't have the athleticism like an Allen or a Lamar Jackson or Deshaun Watson to get away with it. And we all saw the Bills offensive line last year. That dude would have been getting hit repeatedly. So, yeah, even for that, like he, who knows if he would have made it out of last season with the offensive line the Bills had. That's true. But so I'm I'm hoping and and when after I ask you my fantasy question you can comment on uh, how did Josh Allen do today because I, I didn't see or hear anything on it. But before I do, uh, I agree with you on the Clowney situation. Only if he has more than one year left, because I'm afraid that if we make that trade, I would I'd, I'd do that trade ten days out of ten days if I had to for um, okay. Clowney and Dawkins easy, but. Only if he's got more than one year, because if it's only one year, then if we don't keep him, then no, no chance would I do that. So here's my fantasy question. Okay. Last year was, a, I, I've done uh, snake drafts forever, and last year was the first year I did uh, Dynasty League, and I inherited an awful team. My uh, two my two running backs are um, Howard and Ingram, and as far as backups, they're awful. Jordan Howard? Yeah, Jordan Howard. Ooh. And Ingram are my only two decent running. Yeah, that's and that's not very good. Exactly. So I, you know, I finished three and eleven, so I got the most, the most lottery picks. But of course, they're worried about tanking, which I kind of did, but not intentionally. And I ended up with a third pick, so I'm terrified. I'm not going to get Jacobs. Odds are, I'm not going to get Montgomery. So let's say those two are the first two to go. The next two best players on the list are Nikhil um, Harry and Miles Sanders. Now, I need a running back, but Sanders plays where, where Howard plays. So what do I do there? I'll say this before I answer your question about the third pick. You, you might feel pretty down about what your running back situation is. I would, too. I think this is a dynasty league. Yeah. Okay, at least for this year, I love Ingram. Um, I don't like him at all past this year, but I think for this year, Ingram's going to be pretty solid for you. So that being said, I kind of like Sanders there, and part of it is that you have Howard. I'm not typically a handcuff type of guy, but Nikhil Harry, from most reports it sounds in camp, is he's not doing so hot. I'd be worried about that. New England doesn't really have a great track record with rookie receivers. So if I'll say this. If Montgomery is there, I think you run to the podium as fast as you can. Um, if he's not, I, I would probably lean towards, uh, I would lean towards Sanders. I just think the talent is there this year might be a pain in the butt because they have a thousand running backs. Like Sproles is back. Clement's still there. I think Smallwood is still there, but you have the two lead backs in a really offensive, uh, offensive team. So you're almost guaranteeing yourself that someone's going to be startable. So I would go with, uh, Sanders. Okay, Joe, one, uh, one more Quick point on that. Wasn't there a guy from Memphis or Memphis State that everyone was high? Guys in GR really liked him. I don't know if it was you or somebody else. It it was me. Daryl Henderson. 
What do you think about him instead of Sanders in that situation? Yeah, man. I mean, I love Daryl Henderson. Um, oh, man. See, the only thing there, I, I would still go Sanders. That would be the guy I would think about the most. My problem with Henderson is... I think long-term, he's going to have the issue that Sanders does. I think Henderson's better. He's, I thought he was the best running back in the draft. And team-wise, he landed in a perfect type of offense. The problem is, Gurley is there, and even though he's got injury concerns, almost think of him as a hindrance to Henderson. He's going to be there. His contract, they cannot get out of. Whereas in Philly, Jordan Howard's got one year left on his deal. Sproles might retire after this season. Clement and Smallwood are just kind of guys. So the way I see it, even though I think Henderson might be a better back, I think the waters part for Miles Sanders after this year where he is that start, team starting running back, whereas the Rams, that might be Henderson and Gurley going back and forth for like three or four years, and I don't know if that how, how soon it would be able to change. No, I, I, I appreciate that. So I'll go with Sanders. I mean, he's going to be available because it's going to be – Jacob yep. and Montgomery yeah. one and two. Hey, Larry, thanks for the call, man. I, like I said, if Montgomery's there, though, you run to the podium, I think, to get him. Um, there's Larry in South Florida, everybody. If you got any calls, any fantasy questions, I'm here for that. Love questions like that, especially the rookie draft. If you got a rookie draft coming up, it's a different, it's a whole nother animal. Whole nother animal. Auction drafts, too, although that is not my specialty. So. I'll answer an auction question if you want. I got a couple in the text line actually just came in. I'll get to those after the break. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. Thanks for listening. We'll uh, switch back to the Bills after this on WGR. Is this the Nightcap? Yo, this is Patrick. Is this the Nightcap? No, this is Patrick. Is this the Nightcap? No! This is Patrick! Time now for the Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. Welcome back. Hour 2, the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. A lot of good sound, by the way, if you're looking for some Bills player stuff. Kyle Allen, too. Uh, Panthers backup quarterback spoke. That's all on demand at WGR550.com and the radio.com app. We will get back into the bills, but um, fantasy's on the mind. I got the the uh, ESPN mock draft right now on. They are on hour 27 of their fantasy football marathon. It's that time of year. You see the ESPN fantasy marathon on, you know it is prime draft season. I got a my big draft on Saturday. I've had a couple already. Um, most normal people, I would think, are drafting now, though. The casual fantasy owners, even the hardcore ones. You've got drafts right now and uh, coming up. Taking your questions at 803-0550. I said I got a couple in the text line. I'll get to those in a second. First, though, let's go to AJ. AJ, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Hey, Joe. I got a question. Um, my coworker just finally set our league up as a keeper league. Now, I usually don't ask for... Uh, you know, advice on uh, when it comes to fantasy. But here's the scenario: um, I've got four guys that I'm trying to figure out who I want to bring back from uh, from the year before. I've got Brady, I've got Breeze, I've got Antonio Brown, and I've got Melvin Gordon. Uh, we, obviously, you could tell with uh, AB and Melvin, yeah. it's like a tire. It's tough. So I have no idea who to keep, with the exception of Brady, because I want to keep consistency. And I figure he's going to stay in the league for at least 
one to two more years. How how many are you keeping? Uh, we have to keep two. So two, and is this a two quarterback league? Uh, no, it's a one quarterback league. The only uh, extra position we get is flex. Yeah, man. I mean, I, it might be. I know you might think you want to go Brady there, but I would still go Gordon and, and Brown. T- to me, the depth at quarterback, I think you can find a guy. You should be able to find a guy, quarterback wise, unless it's like a, a different type of format. Like if you're starting two, or if it's a six uh, t- point per touchdown for quarterback league, then even though. <laughs> Like I can get why you would be nervous to go with those two guys because there's a chance neither one of them plays. It doesn't seem like Brown um, wouldn't play because of a holdout or anything, though it would be more because of his feet. But I think you got to take him. If you look at where they're being drafted right now, Gordon's still going in the top of the second round. Brown is still going in the second round. Those quarterbacks you mentioned, I mean, they're going in like the ninth, tenth, even later with Brady. So yeah, think of it this way. You're taking a risk, yes, in Gordon. You're taking a risk, yes, in Brown. But what's the upside for both of them? The upside for Gordon is he's a top five running back in fantasy. The upside for Brown is he's the number one fantasy receiver. The upside to me for Breeze and Brady is, eh, they're okay. They're like quarterback six or even if they're higher than that. You can find quarterbacks almost anywhere, anytime. I'd rather keep those two players and draft like Phillip Rivers or Lamar Jackson in like the 10th round. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think I think the biggest thing, and it's not so much about uh, uh, Melvin Gordon because if, if the worst that happens is he sits out. I still have him on my team. I hold on to him. I find another running back in the first round. That's not a big deal. AB is bothering me because I really have this strong feeling we're going to have this huge. You're going to see a huge drop off with him with having Derek Carr with him. And as soon as he starts his antics, which we've already been dealing with already, and thank God we dodged that bullet. Like. I don't know if I want to hold on to a keeper where it's like I have no idea what the mental state is of this guy, even though he is probably the top receiver to go in in the league. Yeah, AJ, thanks for the call, man. I would have to say my advice to you, if you're nervous about both of those guys on your team, especially even Brown, I would say stick it out, keep them, get through the draft. If you don't want them on your team, you will be able to trade those guys for a lot more than you'd be able to trade those quarterbacks for. So unless you had another great option for a keeper that's not a quarterback to me, I think you've got to do it. And you could trade him. You could definitely do that. Like, even if Brown's value is not what it was, you should still be able to get a couple of really good players for him. Um, And Gordon, too. Now, I would have a different course of action, though, if I were nervous about Gordon. If I were nervous about Brown, I'd find a way to trade him. And I think I should be able to do that. If you were nervous about Gordon, which you should be, because it sounds like he might not play, then I would honestly just look at their backups. Austin Eckler, Justin Jackson. Eckler, by the way, is better on the field when Gordon, than Gordon in his career. That's a, that's a, Those are facts. That Those are stats. So maybe you just have to draft Eckler higher than anybody else would. That could be something you do. That would be something maybe I would do because I like him. And if Gordon is not there and Eckler is that workhorse running back or even getting a majority of the carries if he's splitting it with Jackson, he's he's good. He's really good. And he could be an every week starter for you. So I don't really know. I'm going to look up really quick where he's going. Um, man, he's going high. He's going, he's up to the 34th running back and climbing. So his average draft position right now, 79th overall. You're talking about like the sixth round. Draft Eckler in the fourth or fifth, probably the fifth, more ideally. If you're in the top or mid fifth, 
just draft Eckler a round or two higher than you would uh, that you'd be comfortable with. And that way you'll have the Chargers backfield. No matter who's there, you'll have it. So I would say stick it out, go with those two guys. Thanks for the call, though. The uh, fantasy question I had on the text line was also a dynasty question that I want to answer here. And it's because it's something very similar to what I had to face in a draft a couple months ago, which uh, is basically looking at the rookies and who's the top receiver that's not Nikhil Harry, who is going right now like is the second rookie. So if you don't pick right at the top, you're not getting your hands on him. Who's the next rookie receiver you're taking? For me, it's Paris Campbell. The Colts offense, if luck is healthy, is going to be dynamic. It is going to be great. And he is going to be their number three receiver to start. And I don't really like Devin Funchess, so I can very easily see Paris Campbell if he stays healthy too because he's a little banged up. I could see him becoming the Colts' number two wide receiver. Um, And in that offense, with the speed that he's got, he was drafted in the second round by them. They're going to use him. I think that has some really high potential. And it's also me not being a big DK Metcalf guy. Like Metcalf may be the guy you'd argue the most against him. I'm just not buying it. I'm not buying Metcalf. He's going to be on a run-first offense. Yes, they're good with Russell Wilson. I don't know why they always want to run the ball, but they do. So there's not going to be a ton of passes out there. Tyler Lockett is really good. He is really good. He's going to get his looks. David Moore is an underrated receiver. He'll get his looks. I just don't know there's enough to go around there in the first place. Even if I liked Metcalf as a prospect, which I don't. I think he's a straight-ahead, deep-threat receiver that isn't going to have much else to his game. Even though he's big, and even though he looks like a freak, there's no side-to-side lateral quickness. I cannot see him being an elite receiver in the league without that. Who's done it? Who has done it? Who has been a receiver that you would say, hey, he can only really run straight, and he's great? That guy doesn't exist. You've got your deep threats around the league, like Marquise Goodwin, guys like that, but those aren't elite receivers, so I'm not buying DK Metcalf one bit. All right, we'll switch to the Bills next. We'll play some audio back from today's practice. Kyle Allen, Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, uh, Captain Munderlin, who has a great name, is now on the Bills. He was on One Bills Live earlier today. You can hear that as well. That's all on demand at WGR550.com. Jadavian Clowney. Would you trade Deion Dawkins for him? If Houston called you tomorrow, you're the Bills GM, and they say, we'll give you Clowney, we'll want Daw- we want Dawkins. Are you saying yes, or are you saying no? I'll update my poll, take some calls, we'll as we continue on. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. By the way, before I do that, ESPN, as I mentioned, is doing their fantasy football marathon. They're doing the mock draft now. Nick Chubb went 26th. Are you kidding me? 26th, round three. If you're in a fantasy draft this week, do not let Nick Chubb get to the third round. I might be a little biased because I just traded for him in a dynasty league, but there's a reason I did that. You're going to you're gonna draft him, and you're going to be happy with him as your RB1. And if he's your RB2, you're going to be in the championship because Cleveland trading Duke Johnson, that backfield is all to Chubb now. Kareem Hunt doesn't come back till week eight. Sure, that might be a little bit of a hindrance when that happens, but... He is good, he is on a good offense, and the backfield is his. Round three is pure insanity for him. So do not let Nick Chubb get that far for you. All right, um, Olive Garden a little bit later. Lifetime pasta pass 
Oh. Before that, Josh Allen today at uh, joint practice with the Panthers. And interesting response I thought he had to the fact that he gets compared to Cam Newton so much. I'll kind of go into that a little bit too. Like why why it is he is compared to Cam Newton so often. And I thought Allen had an interesting response to that. So here is Josh Allen from earlier today at Bills Panthers joint practice in Spartanburg, South Carolina. How do you feel like you guys did out there? You know, I, I thought we did a good job today. Um, obviously, different environment, playing in um, different weather against a different team. So I think we adjusted pretty well. I think our juice was there. Um, just being able to see somebody different across the ball from us, I think uh, we kind of needed that. So um, super, you know, impressed with how we handled things today. Uh, we were a very mature, professional football team today, and um, I really appreciate the guys doing that. Knowing the grass that you already got of your own offense, how, how beneficial was it for you to go against that different front from Carolina, you know, kind of something different to look at? No, it's awesome, and they, like I said, they do a couple different things, especially their, you know, their front four, um, and just they just line up a little differently, so it changes protections. Uh, we got to be right on those, and um, I thought today we did a good job. John did a good job snapping the ball and, and making his checks and his reads. So, um, you know, some things to learn from on tape, but we'll we'll see that today. How are you shuffling through the mixing and matching going up front? Because I know sometimes Spence kicks in there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you kind of? working one guy to the other and kind of staying on point with it? Oh, I mean, the only thing that I got to do is their centers are different when you're under center, just um, how they deliver the ball. So just making sure that we're taking reps, reps before and after practice there. But, you know, it doesn't matter who's who's up there. Um, they're all doing their job. They're all communicating very well. Um, like I said, they are got a lot of professionals on this team. Josh, you were talking about the Panthers defense. Luke Keekley is sort of famously known for his preparation. I don't know if you would notice or see that in a – Practice setting, but but just your observations about him. In that yeah. Regard. Well, I mean, obviously, people fear him as one of the smartest guys they've been around football-wise, and I can attest to that. You know, I spent some time with Luke before in the past, um, just being able to hear him talk about football. I got a chance to talk to him about a certain play after after practice here, and just the insight that he has, the knowledge that he has, is pretty awesome. And um, you know, at the end of the day, we don't really have each other on our schedule, so we're trying to make each other better at the same time. So you when you talk to him about a specific play. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ask him about it? You wanted to know, or he asked you? Um, I just kind of went up to him. And just, he said that's a good concept, and we just kind of talked about the, you know, the hardships for a defense on a certain play, and what, um, you know, what can make that play not so great. So, so it was what you were doing, not what what they showed on the on defense. You were trying to get his opinion on what you guys were showing. Yeah, just just why he did what he did in the certain concept that we ran. Um, he's obviously obviously asking what our what we're looking at, what our read is. So uh, just a couple. A couple words here or there, and um, like I said, we're trying to make each other better right now. Rivera talked before um, yesterday about the value of this in the sense that you guys have no reason to assume you're going to play each other, so there really isn't any reason for people to be uncomfortable making an effort to make people better. Correct. Ideas, all that. How's that? I mean, that, 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 like I said, um, we don't see each other on our schedule this year, and, and you know, unless we, you know, both end up meet up at the end, um, but. Yeah, we're, we get to get to go against a really good defense, and our defense gets to go against a really good offense. So um, at the same time, we're we're just out here trying to make some plays, trying to see some different looks, some different faces, and uh, you know, just still play the game of football. Josh, I noticed that you were um, kind of favoring James Bradbury side of the field. Was there anything in particular you saw over there on that side of the field that made you? No, not necessarily. Um, just kind of the route concepts that we had. You know, when they're playing their zone, and um, just knowing that there's some 
Openings underneath there. That's that's all it really was. How much time did you get to spend with Cam? What could you have learned from him? And what do you think of the comparison? Uh, I actually didn't get to spend any time with him today. We're we're on different fields, so um, I got to talk to to Kyle a little bit after. Didn't get to see Cam, but um, you know he's a big, mobile, strong arm quarterback that puts the ball where he wants to put the ball. So um, I'm not mad at the comparisons at all. You know I think he's been playing this game at a high level for a very long time. It looked like things were clicking in seven on seven. Refinement stage, you know, installs pretty much taking yeah. care of it. Do you guys feel like you're polishing at this point? For sure, I definitely think that there's not a lot of stuff going in. Yeah. You know, stuff that we've repped before over and over again, and now it's like I said, just seeing different looks and being able to adjust accordingly and make plays. It seemed like there was a little more juice before practice. Did you sense that guys were a little more maybe up for this as compared? To oh yeah. It, there's a huge competitive advantage for this, you know, getting to play different people. You know, we're not going against our teammates, not worrying about, you know what we see every single day in practice and in training camp. So, um, you know, we really don't prepare for the joint practices that much. And we go out and we get to see different looks. We get to learn from them. Um, it's just football. I love it. Josh, Thank you, guys. Uh, oh. Thank Josh. Sorry, just your take on their front seven. You mentioned the front four. Yeah. They, they obviously change up their defense. No, they, they got some dudes up front. Um, they know how to play the game of football, and they're very smart. And obviously Luke kind of commands that defense really well, uh, just making sure that they're all situated on what their assignments are. Um, like I said, they got some dudes up front that are going to get after the ball. Because you and Cam are similar, did you study him coming into the league? Anything he's done that you've learned? Um, not really. I mean, I've seen some some good things. Um, obviously, every time I watch football, I get to see some things. But, um, you know, just to get how, kind of how he process the, processes the game, how he kind of went from a mobile quarterback to more of a quarterback that will run when necessary. Obviously, I'm still going through that transition, too, so I can take um, a lot of lessons from his early career as well. Just seeing all the fans out two more here guys, today, two more. the fact that you know they're here in Carolina, South Carolina. What does that say to you? It's unbelievable. You know, we got the best fans in, in the world, and um, we think very highly of them, and we appreciate them coming out here. So um, we, we love and appreciate the support from Bills Mafia. There's the Bills quarterback, Josh Allen. Th wasn't that interesting what he said about Newton there? Like he didn't really want to give him too much praise. It seemed like, um, and then he wasn't super happy with that comparison. Um, I think it's a fair one, though. I think Newton is the closest example you're going to get for Allen. And there's a reason that it keeps coming up. Their strengths are very similar. Their weaknesses are very similar. Their strengths, their athleticism, they're big. They got cannons for arms. And their weaknesses are kind of the same, too. Inaccurate. Not the best lower body mechanics. Can have trouble processing the game. These are the things you think about Cam Newton. And maybe part of the reason that even though he had that one insane season where he was an elite quarterback, that's held him back from being an elite quarterback. And being a guy who can throw the ball 30, 40 times. And I just really hope that even if Allen's a similar type player, the Bills are not going to build their offense like Carolina did. And I don't know if I can expect that because they seem to want to do everything the way Carolina did it. But when I think of the Panthers in the past five years when they've had Cam Newton as their quarterback, it is run heavy. It is McCaffrey, before that D'Angelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart, running the ball and good defense. And there's a reason that that's only worked for the for Carolina once. That's it. 
They've never been a serious threat to win the Super Bowl other than one year. And really, why were they a threat that year? Because Cam had his best season passing that he's ever had. So, if Allen is going to be a similar type player to Cam Newton, I just guess I hope, I'm, I'm hoping the Bills are going to utilize him differently than how the Panthers have utilized Cam Newton. And I don't know if I can bank on that. I'd like to hope it, given how... Uh, how Brian Dable has treated his offense when Allen's been at the helm. But McDermott, Bean, like those guys come from Carolina, and they've done a lot of the stuff that's similar to how it's been done uh, with the Panthers. But they have, I'll give them credit, they've come around on some stuff. Like they started off with big, slow, wide receivers. In fact, it was the guy who was in Carolina, Kelvin Benjamin, because that's what they had in Carolina. And they realized that's not the way to do it. And now they have speed all over the place and separation. So... At the same time, why I guess I don't want to assume that they won't build the offense like the uh, Panthers have around Newton, I also have to acknowledge there are instances where they have deviated from what was how it was done in Carolina because, you know, it's some of it's obvious. <laughs> Just to be frank, some of it's obvious. Like, oh, you'd rather have the, uh, the receiver who's always covered and can't get open, or would you rather have the guy who's always four or five yards away from his corner? I don't care what their sizes are. Who gets open? And we finally got that figured out here. Um, Magic Johnson is back with another list. So, a couple hours ago, he released three lists. Listing the top 60 whatever. First it was the top 60 films. And then the top 60 athletes turned entrepreneurs. Then it was the top 60 places to travel. And oddly enough... It was almost all in alphabetical order, except in the films list, there were a couple that he uh, he moved around. Like, he put The Godfather number one, but otherwise, it was, for the most part, like, Sparkle, which is a movie, I guess, that Jordan Sparks uh, was in, like, seven years ago. Um, the the, uh, the American Idol singer. You move that around. But otherwise, it's all in alphabetical order. About less than an hour ago, he released another one, Top 60 TV Shows. And again... Some of it is not in alphabetical order. The rest is. I don't get it. I don't get his formula here. I don't understand how he's putting this list together. I don't understand why he's doing these lists in the first place. And why it's top 60. I know you turn 60, but no one wants top 60 of anything. So top 60 TV shows, according to Magic Johnson. 21 Jump Street is number one. Isn't that a movie? I don't know. I'm young. Number two is The Three Stooges. See, at first I thought 21. Okay, he's putting the numbers first. That makes sense. But then three stooges. Okay, wait, no, this is not um this is not in alphabetical order. Then a different world. And now he's getting back into uh, you know, he's getting back into the uh the alphabetical side of it. Alfred Hitchcock presents the Andy Griffith show, the Arsenio Hall show. Uh does he have his own show on here? I'm not seeing it. He's got Family Feud in here. MASH is at 51. Below. I don't get it. Okay, wait a minute. Hold on. Magic Johnson, what are you doing? So, he's got the Andy Griffith show and the Arsenio Hall show at the top. Because I assume there he's ignoring the word the, and he wants the A to be the first letter. But then, when you go further down the list, there's the Cosby show, the Honeymooners, the Jeffersons, the Munsters, the Odd Couple. So, in that, those circumstances, he's counting the the. When he's doing it alphabetically. This dude is off his rocker. 
I don't know what he's doing. Mash, for some reason, he's got outside the rest of the M's. He's got it lower than the other M's. Isn't that disrespectful to Mash? I don't know. I don't. I want to know what he's doing. It's crazy what he's doing. It doesn't make any sense. Fittingly, his number 60 top 60 uh, TV show, number 60 is What's Happening? With three exclamation points. Is that an actual show? It probably is. What's Happening? Is that like an old school TV show? It is. Aired from 1976 to 1979. Never heard of it. All right, let's get back into the bills a little bit. Let's get back on track. Sean McDermott was speaking earlier today at the uh, at the joint practice between the Bills and Panthers. Seemed like he was kind of, you know, pretty happy that this whole thing came together. He's got a lot of connections with Ron Rivera and the Panthers, and they finally got it together. So here is the Bills head coach earlier today at practice. Sam Acho, coach, we didn't get a chance to talk to you really about him, just what you feel he's going to bring to your roster from a competition standpoint. Yeah, he's a veteran player. Um, seen a lot of ball, and uh, you know, from all the from all the um, comments we've gotten from guys that know him, uh, high character, um, you know, well respected in the league, and and so it's you know he's going to have to get caught up in a hurry here, but uh, his veteran experience will help him. Sean, I think I saw Mitch Morse with a non-contact jersey. Is that right? Is, is that the next step with him? Yeah, he'll be out there today uh, in pads, but working, you know, progressing at this point. Um, so, um, you know, other than that, really nothing's changed. So. so he's still in the protocol? Yep. Coach, we have a guy like Captain coming in. Of course, he's got to catch up. But what kind of impact can he have on, on your locker room? Yeah, again, another veteran player with good experience, uh, experience in the defensive system. And uh, he brings he brings an edge. And, and uh, we need that um, uh, within the context of, of good, good, solid football. So um, we're happy to have him. He's got to get himself into shape. and. We'll get him some reps here today and, and uh, through the week. Sean, what similarities do you see with, with Cam and Josh or Josh and Cam? Well, two different players. I mean, at different stages of their career, obviously. Um, hard to compare those two um, just uh, because of those facts alone. But, um, you know, you, being around Cam for a number of years, what a, what a person, what a player. Um, and, and it was uh, good for my career. And, and um, I learned a lot, you know, having to go against him in practice every day. And, uh, one of the best players to, to maybe ever play the, play the game. So, um, you know, Josh is just at the start of his career, and um, he's a young quarterback that's that's um, continuing to grow and learn and, and develop. Ron came out and said, said he told his players there's fights on the practice field. They're going to be sent off. What, what kind of message do you send to your players in this kind of environment? Yeah, similar. Um, you know, it's to come out here, and we came down here to, to get good work in and to grow as a football team and improve, and, and so that's that's the goal. That's the, that's the objective. Um, and so, as, as Coach Rivera mentioned, those those fights won't be tolerated. John, how many uh, live periods? I mean, tackles, are there going to be any tackles? No, it'll be just like pretty much we've done, and I'm sure the Panthers have done uh, in camp this year. It's it's uh, what we're used to with Thud, and but the tempo will be up, and it'll, it'll be competitive. Sean, your, your first two years, you didn't do anything like this. Why do you think you're, this is right for your team now to do this year? Well, it, it offers a lot of a lot of benefits. Um, you know, number one is going against a good good team in the Panthers and an organization and, and a staff that's been together for a long time. And and so um, and at this point in camp, you know, it's it's uh, guys get a little bit get a little bit tired of you know seeing the same guy across the line of scrimmage. So it offers a change of scenery and and um, 
for us really a chance to get in front of a different system and scheme and, and to develop again as an overall football team. I know there's only so much you can say about Mitch because of the concussion protocol, but are you, are you feeling a little more optimistic as he's kind of seems to be inching a little closer to being like fully back? Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll see, like you said, Josh, that he's in the protocol, um, but, it, but it is moving in, in a positive direction. Ron, uh, obviously talked about guys not fighting in camp or anything like that, but he said he did really enjoy sending you guys the heat index every day. Yeah. yeah. You know, the heat's the heat. This is, uh, this is part of us growing as a football team, and, and uh, we want to err on the side of, of player safety, number one. But that said, uh, it's important that we get ourselves into shape and ready to go for the season. Did it matter? Did it matter? Obviously, that you know, you, you do know this organization. There's a lot of trust between you yeah. and Ron. You know, if you're going to do something like this, it's important you to have those kind of relationships to have that trust. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, trust is a big part of it, and, and a big part of us coming here. Um, you know, the relationships you have, and knowing how the Panthers practice, knowing how we practice, uh, we're similar in that regard in terms of what we want to get done and how we want to get it done. Coach, what kind of camp does Patrick Demarco have, and how you see him? You know be a veteran guy and also be a presence on this team as well. Yeah, you must be a South Carolina guy, man. Um, yeah, no, Pat's uh, veteran presence is, is and leadership is important for us. And um, he's he's played on um, and played in big games before. And, and so that's important for us as well. And um, I really appreciate his work ethic and his character and his steady hand for us. Hey, Sean, obviously it's all important, but are you particularly interested to see how your offensive line is going to fare against their defensive front yeah look this is a good football team not only with their with their front um, but in all areas right they've, they've been to some and played in some big games uh, which is where we're trying to get to and and um, but yeah they've they're they're pretty pretty skilled up front and so it'll be a good test for us still here. mixing and matching a little bit even over the weekend coach is that just gonna should we anticipate that to continue here through this week yeah I, I think so you know it's it's been good for us though to establish some of the competition and also the position flexibility and um, that'll benefit us in the long run. Ron, Ron mentioned uh, last week that he didn't play any of his starters uh, at all last week, but he was going to play them a little bit Friday. What, what's your tentative plan? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, honestly, we really haven't even talked about it as a staff. Um, I, I want to look at today and see how today goes and just take it one day at a time right now. What do you think about them switching to a 3-4 and, and becoming a, a little bit of a different defense than when you were here? Yeah, that's 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 part of the benefit for us is we come down and we see a different defense as opposed to had they been playing the same defense that we played um, or that they played the last couple of years. So um, it's it's good for us. It's good for us. We're going to go against some three, four opponents this year. Um, so it'll be it'll be good good work for us. John, what's Obviously, the... you saw uh, Ron Rivera run practices a certain way for a few years here in Carolina. Are there tidbits or habits that you maybe picked up and, and took with you to Buffalo? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, this is one of the areas I got my start, right? And so I picked up a lot from coming here to Watford, from learning from a lot of the staff that they have on staff uh, still today. And and um, it's it's one of the foundations uh, that I've built my career on. Sean, what's the feeling for you now coming back here in this role after spending so much time here? Yeah, it's, a, it's a, you know, last night we had the walkthrough and, you know, it's, it's um, I just think of what a blessing it is to be able to come back to one of the places I started and uh, to be around the people and, and uh, this is a, a campus with much like St. John Fisher at home where they welcome us with open arms and, and um, you know it's, it's, uh, it's again it's just neat to think back to you know how far 
Um, you know, the good Lord has brought me in my career and my family, and I'm and I'm blessed to be having not you know be in Buffalo, but to have also been here. Did Sean. you see the video board of you and and Brandon? Uh, no, you no, did. I did. I saw that. <laughs> Sean, there's a little. What, what was your thoughts? Well, when we landed, uh, we got a little text. Uh, Derek sent me the text, and Brandon and I, and uh, that's you know they love they they just some good people here, and they like to have fun in their ops department. So. Uh, uh, it's all it's all in good fun, right? So it was it was uh, it's, it's, it was neat, but I'm glad it's down. I hope it's down. <laughs> you can leave Brandon up there, but take me down. Sean, there's been a lot of Bills fans we've seen come through that gate. You know, what, what does that say to you about Bills fans being here? Yeah, it's awesome. We appreciate that. Um, you know, they're we're worldwide. You know, and uh, it's great to see our fans. The buses were pulling out this morning at the hotel, and and um, I saw a, a car with some Buffalo bumper stickers on it, and and home and it had the state of New York in there and, and the, you know those bumper stickers so that's that's great to see. Sean, when you were in Charlotte did you pick up on the, the pretty big population of Buffalo folks and who had relocated? Yeah I mean there's uh it's it's uh you know it surprised me just from uh, kind of the coming down from the north the northeast and and into Carolina into Charlotte in particular and the amount of people to your point Joe that that did relocate um and and that are, um, I don't know if you call them transplants, but um, a, lot of, a lot of New York rep down here, and uh, that's good to see. Sean, you, you watched Gerald McCoy and Bruce Irvin quite a bit, uh, you know, when you were with the Panthers. Seeing them here now, is it a little bit surreal, and how have they matured in, into their uh, careers as they became veterans? Yeah, I mean, too, again, that's, that's, that'll be part of our challenge this next week here, but good work for us. Um, two veteran players um, that have played at a high level, and I know um, uh, both of them just from going against him in particular, Gerald just being in the division and uh, what a player, what a person um, seems to have the the, uh, the leadership and and so um, you know at any time you can be around or watch a player play at that level for as long as he has, it's uh, it's an honor. Sean, when you've been around Luke for a long time, I mean, what do you see with, with a three four? How does his role? change how will benefit him at all what do you think about that yeah I think um, I think every defense is different and, and has its benefits um, I, you know I think he'll play well in any defense honestly um, had a chance to catch up with him a little bit yesterday in the building and as we came over to do our uh, talk you know from as far as practice organization wise but good to see Luke uh, he hasn't changed which is great with all the success he's had he uh, continues to have a humble spirit which is awesome Sean, what type of things do you have to do as a coaching staff when you're preparing to make sure these two days are productive uh, for you and not, you know, yeah. um, something else? Yeah, I think, you know, two things. Number one is be fully informed of, of what's going on, where we're trying to go, and then um, understand the goal, right? Our goal of coming here, and, and that, that has to be and remain the same thing as, as we set out when we, when we organized this practice uh, months ago. Sean, among the reasons Ron talked about for changing the defense, he said that folks had left here and had a pretty good read on that 4-3. Do, do you think that, that there was the book sort of was out on, on that 4-3 scheme from your perspective? Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, I think that remains to be seen every year. I know this, Joe, you've got to continue to, to develop and, and grow and, and follow the trends or try and be out in front of the trends. and. You know, um, so we'll see. We'll see what this year uh, holds for for this defense, uh, where we are in Buffalo, and that's really the only defense I'm really that concerned of, about. What's that off-field relationship like between you and, and Coach Rivera, and, and how did that lead to this joint practice? Yeah, you know, we've known each other a long time, going back to our days in Philadelphia. Um, you know, I worked as his assistant linebacker coach uh, when I was a quality control 
coach under coach uh, Andy Reid, and um, you know, he's, Ron's taught me a lot, uh, both on and off the field, and I'm extremely grateful for that relationship. Coach, what's the next step for uh, Ray Ray? I mean, he was a versatile guy coming at Clemson. What are you guys expecting from him this year? Yeah, you know, I think just more of um, what we saw on tape at Clemson, and um, you know, he he had his challenges. Ray Ray did last year, like like a lot of rookies. But I've just been very encouraged by his development off the field, development on the field, and usually those two are are correlated. And uh, the way he came back to us in the spring, you, it was clear that he had worked. Um, in, in a lot of areas, and so you've seen we've seen the results, albeit short term, at this point uh, through camp. Speaking of work, it seems like Isaiah McKenzie starting to work his way up the the depth chart there. What have you seen from him so far at, at camp? Well, I think um, I think of late in particular, he's uh, picked up where he left off um, last season. Right, you saw some of the production in the game the other night, um, so. There's, there's some good competition at that position for us, which is good for us. Chuck, you mentioned how beneficial it was getting to play against Cam every day early on in your career. What do you make the way that he's maturing as a player, especially some of the steps he's taking in our offense? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me knowing Cam. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, like a lot of our teams uh, and quarterbacks, we go as the quarterbacks go. And, and um, I think, um, you know, he's a highly talented player and um, tough to defend. All right, there's Bills head coach Sean McDermott, Andrew Luck. There's there's a story from just a few minutes ago on how the Colts finally think they figured out what's wrong with him. And it's just a timeline of like how they really didn't until now. It's amazing that this is the second time with the same player, the same organization, that you keep screwing it up. I mean, remember with the shoulder two years ago when they said, oh, he'll be back by week one. And then, oh, he'll be back. Or no, it was he'll be back by the preseason. Then he'll be back by week one. And then it was, oh, he'll be back early in the season. And then it's like, no, he'll play this season. Don't worry. It's going to happen. And then they shut him down and he never played. They either led them on or they had no clue what was going on with Lux injury. This time it actually seems like the Colts have no clue what's going on with Lux injury. They think they know what the problem is. We'll see. Now the, the, the talk from this report in the last 20 minutes on the Colts is sounding like Luck is not playing week one and that it'll be Jacoby Brissett. And if that's a trend like it was two years ago, that's going to lead you down a path where he's going to start not playing and maybe it continues to go and go and go. And it's amazing with the same player, the same organization. They might need a new medical staff or something. Because I don't know what's going on there. But it's, man, that'll, that'll change everything. I had the Colts going in the Super Bowl. I had them in the Super Bowl. And I'd change that right now. I don't trust them to, to know when Luck's going to be healthy. Not at all. And I like Brissett, but not that much. All right, 803 is the phone number. Last call in the nightcap after this. I will finally get to the Olive Garden Lifetime Pasta Pass. It's happening. You could be the one of the lucky people that can purchase this thing. You must really like Olive Garden to want to do it, but I'll explain after this. The Nightcap with Joe DiBiase, Joe DiBiase here on WGR. All right. Last call in the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. Let's jump right into it. Olive Garden is offering... 
a lifetime pasta pass for $400. Now, you can't just go out and get this thing. I was already thinking about it. It's only available to a select number of those who opted into the original pasta pass, which they had. It was like a, like a season pass, I guess, for, uh, for, for Olive Garden. So if you're eligible for this thing, though, unlimited servings of pasta, sauces, and toppings, plus unlimited soup, salad, and breadsticks for life. Life. I mean, think about that. That's like 40 meals and it's paid for. That's two months. Less. Probably don't want to eat at a place like that that many times in two months. It's a lot of salt, probably. But, wow. I don't know if I'd want, I'd want it. I feel like I would just get enormous if I did that. Unlimited pasta for life. <laughs> I mean, holy cow. And what must they be thinking? What is Olive Garden thinking? Like, you're making a bet. You must think you're not going to be in business too much longer. Now, that, no, that would be more if, uh, if they did that on a large scale, right? Like, if they made that available to everybody, then I would think, okay, well, they're running out of money or something. But... They're only making it available to a select few, so that's probably not right. But a $400 lifetime pasta pass, would you buy that? I mean, what an idea, right? Like, where, where else would you want to do that to? Chain restaurants, probably you wouldn't want to do it for. But you'd almost be making a bet against, the, like, to, to the restaurant, like, yeah, you're going to stay in business. You're going to stay in business. If they close, I'm screwed, but otherwise I got this thing. I never have to worry about going hungry for the rest of my life. It's amazing to me that's even being offered. And, uh, hey, if you're one of those people that is eligible, then I think you should definitely uh, go for it. You should definitely go for it, even just to say you have one. It's the, the, the value of the, the story you can tell on having a lifetime pasta pass to Olive Garden, that's worth $400. You never even have to go. Do you imagine just rolling up to parties be like, yeah, open your wallet. Look at this. Unlimited pasta for life. It's like when Kramer had unlimited coffee from uh, wherever it was. Java World. For life. Dangerous. All right, thanks everybody for listening. Catch the whole show on demand at WGR550.com. I'll be back with you tomorrow night at 7. NASCAR fans, stay tuned. NASCAR Live is on the way next here on WGR. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. 
Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.